morning, church. It's so awesome to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's so nice to see you all. We just want to say that we're so glad that you're here. If you're watching online this morning, we'd like to just extend a special welcome to you as well. And uh, just let you know that we've got online hosts available for you to reach out to, ask questions, um, or anything in between. And uh, just comment wherever you're watching. Let us know that you're here and from where you're watching. Alrighty, everybody, I want to invite you to stand as we just uh, go into a time of worship this morning. So open up the heavens, we want to see you. Open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart, filling every part of our prayer. We've waited for this day, we're gathered in your name, calling Your glory like a fire, awakening desire, will burn our hearts with truth. You're the reason, you're the reason we're here, you're the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens, we want to see you, open up the floodgates, a mighty river. From your heart, filling every part of our praise. Your presence in this place, your glory on our face. Look into the sky, descending like a cloud. You're standing with us now. Lord, unveil our eyes. You're the reason. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens. We want to see you. Open up the floodgates. A mighty river flowing from your heart. Filling every part of our prayer. So open up the heavens, we want to see you, open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart, filling every part of our
time would any of the leaders of the prayer team any small group leaders or anybody that I've asked please come forward in order to pray um you know I have an admission to make I watch probably too much network news and with um all the things going on in the world sometimes I think how nice would it be to have a line into the White House where I could just call and give them my opinion sometimes about how things are going and what they need to be doing and and I think um how silly that is because number one I don't have that access Number two, they don't care probably about what my opinion is. But as we come before the God of the universe, you know, number one, we have access before him. We just have to ask. 
Number two, he cares intimately and deeply about what's going on in our lives and what it is that we have to say to him. And number three, he actually has the power to do something about it. And so, you know, as you come forward this morning and you're you know, bringing the stuff that you have, you know, uh, you know, please come and receive prayer, you know, with the people up front here. And, um, you know, come before the God of the universe who is able to do something mightily in your life with the things that are going on. So thank you.
answered prayers back then and you will answer now you are the same god you are the same god you were providing then you are providing now you are the same Father God, we just thank you this morning for all that you've done in our lives. God, we praise your name for being so good when we've never deserved it. God, we praise your name for taking us to the valley, to the mountaintop. God, we praise your name for never forsaking us, for always knocking at our door. God, this morning I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. God, as Pastor Tim brings your message, God, I pray that it would not be his words, God, but yours. God, for those of us that need to recognize what you're trying to say to us, God, I pray that you would calm our minds and our hearts. Calm us and bring us to a place where you need us to be. We thank you and praise your name. Hey, good morning again. Welcome to Springbrook. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're watching and visiting with us online, it's a really good time to do so. We have a, a lot of fun things that you know are programmed on the calendar here, and so lots of good ways to connect with us and to join in person if you want to do so. Um, if you're watching online again, also, if you would please fill out the online connection form um, you know, that we have there, or if you uh, see the chat function, we have some online hosts that would be willing to um, chat with you and to you know, pray with you. And so, you know, please let us know that you're there. Also, if you're here in person, we have connection cards at the ends of the aisles. If you don't mind filling those out and then dropping them in the boxes in the back or handing them to one of the hosts as you walk out, um, you know, we're so glad that you're here, you know, visiting with us. 
And so we have, as I mentioned, you know, very, you know, fun calendar, lots of, you know, going on in the next few weeks. The first of which is our Springbrook Fall Festival, um, in which we have some, you know, fun you know, games planned here. <laughs> um, we have, uh, you know, chili cook-off. So if you have that secret family recipe that you want to share with everybody and try to, you know, put that to the test, uh, we, we need especially some, some people do spicy chili really well. So, you know, if that's the only thing that we need you to register for at all is if you're going to join that chili competition. Otherwise, you know, just please come when you have, um, you know, hot dogs. We have, you know, a, a bounce house, which my kids were flipping out about yesterday. We have, um, you know, just a tent, lots of games, you know, and things that are planned. And so it's an easy thing for you to bring your neighbors to and enjoy time with them and to be able to show them, you know, that church people are normal. We're, you know, just like you. And so, uh, you know, please come out to that on this coming Saturday, October the 28th. And then three weeks from um, today is our marriage date night, which is on uh, Saturday, November the 11th. And so this is an evening event for married couples to be able to come out and hear, you know, two comedians and a you know, Christian singer. And so uh, this is a you know, very fun time, good, uh, safe date night. You're not going to come out and be worried about, you know, objectionable content or something like that. And so um, you can buy tickets either online or you can even see me here and you can save yourself some money from the processing fee. I have them in my office. And so if you want to approach me and you want to purchase tickets, you can do so. Um, you can click go to springbrook.org forward slash date night and all of the information for that is there. Um, you should even be hearing some uh, radio advertisements in the next couple weeks, you know, for this. And so um, so also it's something that you can invite your neighbors to, you know, and uh, we've had some people that have you know, purchased some tickets in faith and, and giving them you know, to friends in order to have them come out to that. So, so please, uh, you know, do join us for that evening. And uh, lastly, you know, something very important is that we're having an upcoming baptismal service soon. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized, you know, please get in contact with us, springbrook.org forward slash baptism or talk to one of the pastors. We would like to have that conversation with you. And it's an important step. It's like a, having a wedding ring, you know, for, um, you know, the uh, bridegroom and, you know, and the groom. And so it's uh, you know, just an important step of faith. And so if you have that inclination or that interest, again, you know, please let us know. We'd be happy to, you know, have you take part in that particular service. So thank you very much. And Pastor Tim will be out in just a moment. morning. I had to take our family minivan into the mechanic shop this week, which always makes me groan whenever I have to do that. And so I showed up there, and it was really busy on that particular morning. Uh, we needed some brake work done, and so I was explaining the situation to uh, the guy who was working at the desk. And I got to tell you, I am really thankful that he did not say, uh, well, we got some tools over there, so go and have at it, and uh, if you get stuck, then just let us know and we'll give you a hand. Because if that's how a mechanic shop worked, if that's how a garage worked, I would be like, I got nothing. 
as some of you have the ability probably to be able to do that. In fact, some of you maybe even think to yourself, wow, I want to find a mechanic uh, uh, or a garage like that who will let me work on my own car using their tools. Yeah, not so much me. Uh, I, I don't have any of the skills to do that. When I go somewhere like that, it's not a matter of, of me simply saying, hey, I can get so far, and then when I get stuck, then just help me then. But, you know, sometimes there are, we have this attitude in our life uh, that, that while that's not the way that a mechanic works, and that's not a way that, that most things in the world work, Sometimes we have this opinion, this idea, this conception that it is the way that God works. Over these past few weeks, we've been studying together in this series that we're calling Trite, Not True. And some of the statements we've been looking at are just patently false, even though you may hear them on people's lips from time to time, even though sometimes people kind of build their life based upon that premise. Some of the other statements are, are true statements, but we, we kind of use them in a really trite way, in a way that, um, uh, that misses the real meaning of things. Well, one of those sorts of statements that sometimes crosses people's lips is that God helps those who help themselves. Right, a little bit like you show up and uh, and the mechanic says, "Well, you get started, and uh, and only when you get stuck will I come and help you with that." But you have to do something first. I want to suggest to you that 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 idea of God helps those who help themselves is utterly unbiblical, and yet there's a lot of people who have that kind of idea. Uh, sometimes we have that idea from the perspective of we believe that we have to clean ourselves up, that we have to perform and check off a certain number of things on a list before God is willing or interested in giving us the time of day. And so there are a lot of people who go through life trying to perform all of these religious practices that may not in themselves be bad, but they're, they're trying to earn some level of favor, some level of status, some level of merit, so that God might pay attention to them. And it's based on that kind of preconceived idea that God only wants to help those who help themselves. But then sometimes we, we use that phrase in a slightly different way, and, and we use it for um, those sort of questionable ways in which people try to get ahead. And, and, and so, uh, for the person who uh, sort of embellishes some of the details on a contract so that they come out better on the other side, or, or their resume, they, they make look way better than, the, than is reality. And maybe somebody challenges them on it, and it's like, yeah, but God helps those who help themselves. In other words, yeah, the way to get ahead in this world, uh, the way to get out in front is to sort of help myself. And that's the way to experience good. That's the way to experience blessing. That's the way to position yourself. And so there are different attitudes or different ways in which people brandish around this idea. 
But this morning, we're going to take a little bit of time as we look at the scriptures together uh, to, in a sense, develop a little bit of a, a systematic theology that is a, uh, a, a, an orderly approach through several passages of scripture to help us to understand what God really is like. And what we're going to discover together is that our merciful God helps those who know they cannot help themselves. Our merciful God helps those who know that they cannot help themselves. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, I'd invite you to, to pull that out uh, this morning because we're going to go from a number of different passages. We are going to have most of these texts up on the screen. But you see, all through the scriptures, all through the Bible, we see page after page after page this idea that our God is a merciful helper. Uh, that is, that it is in his very nature, in his very character to come to the aid of his people. Uh, one of the uh, uh, perhaps most beautiful psalms that we find in, in, in the Old Testament book of Psalms is Psalm 121. And, and, and it really drives home this idea that our God is a merciful helper. You see, in Psalm 121, we read these words, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so, uh, just as we see all throughout the, the pages of the Bible, so Psalm 121 here gives us this picture of God as being a merciful and compassionate God. A God who is able and who delights to come to the help, the aid of his people. A couple of things in particular to note that we see here, and again, all through Scripture, is the fact that our God is, is not distant. He's not disengaged from our life. He is active. He is present. He is what we call in theology, he is imminent. That is, he is close to, he draws near to his people. And he sees, and he hears, and he knows, and he understands, and he works on behalf of his people. I love this psalm. It's an interesting picture here, uh, uh, and it's really of somebody who is on a journey. In fact, this is part of what is referred to as the, the Psalms of Ascent, and so it would be sung by the, uh, the ancient people of Israel as they were traveling, as they were making their way up towards Jerusalem for, uh, for the various different festivals and feasts. But it starts off with this declaration, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And you see, in the ancient world, the hills were a pretty dangerous place. If you were traversing through the hills, uh, there, there were all sorts of dangers. 
more than that, in the ancient world, the pagan nations, they used to build up in the hills these shrines and these altars to their various idols and their false gods. And the psalmist here says, as I'm setting out on this journey, which is, is a treacherous path, I lift my eyes up to the hills, and I'm, fear, I'm filled a little bit with a, with, with a sense of trepidation for this journey that I need to take. I lift my eyes up to the hills, and I think of the shrines and the idols and the pagan deities that are represented there. But he asks a question, but where does my help really come from? It's not from those shrines. It's not from those idols. It's not from those things. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so he recognizes and he takes comfort in the fact that God, who is his helper, is the one who made the hills is the one who made the mountains, is the one who made all things. And so, uh, and this is a reminder of the fact that, folks, we have a helper who is the creator of heaven and earth. Nothing is too difficult for him. More than that, as the psalm goes on, it just gives this beautiful picture of the fact that God's help is constant and it is complete. I love the language here because it says, he will not let your foot be moved. In other words, as you're up in the, the hills and the mountains, often the, the paths would be quite treacherous because they could give way underfoot. And so the image that the psalmist is using here is as I'm traveling on the way, God is able to keep me from stumbling and falling. He will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And again, it's a beautiful picture there of the fact that, that God's help is constant. Because the God that we serve never takes a nap. He's never too busy. He's, he's not like, I'm sorry, uh, you know, reach out to me again during office hours. And some of us, even before we go any further this morning, just need to be reminded of this comforting truth. And that is that when you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, when you wake up and everything around is still dark and you are filled with the anxiety and the fear of the things that are going on in your life, of the sickness that you are battling through, of the loss of a loved one and all that that means of the uncertainty of where the money's going to come from for that next big bill. That you have a helper who is wide awake and who is attentive to you even when everything else is asleep. God's help is constant and it is complete. There is no time of day or night where he is not diligently working and drawing near and available to his people. And again, some of the imagery here in the psalm, so beautiful, how the Lord is like a shade at the right hand, uh, uh, keeping from the heat of the day and uh, of the night. And if we had the time, uh, we could go into some of the things in the ancient world and how uh, a sunstroke and uh, what they would call um, uh, being 
uh, moon or, or, or night crazed would be something that they were fearful of. And as the psalmist is talking about here, he's talking about the fact that God preserves and is present with and protects his people in all manner of things. And then in verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming forth from this time forth and forevermore. And so again, there's the constant nature of God's help for his people. So, uh, when we consider that idea that God helps those who help themselves, well, there's some truth there that God is a helper. That's clear here in Scripture. It's clear all through Scripture. And Psalm 121 is just one of many places we could go to see that. But we find more truths as we, as we move through the pages of Scripture. And that is that not only is God a merciful helper, but God is a helper specifically to the helpless. You know, that false idea is, uh, is that, hey, if you're able to help yourself to a certain degree, then God will show up. But actually, the testimony of Scripture is that God delights. He delights to draw near to those who have no voice, to those who are weak, to those who are needy. Our merciful God shows special care for the weak and for the helpless, for the widow and for the orphan, and for the oppressed. We see this in a few different passages. For example, in Psalm 10, we read, Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? In other words, why is it that arrogant, wicked people act as if God takes no interest in what they do or what's going on in the world, that he's not present, that he's not active? But then it goes on, But you do see For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. And so again, we see this beautiful picture that God is a helper of those who are helpless. And likewise, in Psalm 68, sing to God, sing praise to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished your flock, and your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. So again, we see that he is the father of the fatherless. He is the protector of the widows. He is the provider for the needy. It's a beautiful picture, a reminder here that God is merciful, that he is an ever-present helper, but that he has special care for those who are unable to help themselves. In fact, it's very clear within Scripture that it's not only that he cares for those who are unable to help themselves, but 
that to take advantage or to neglect the helpless is actually to set ourselves against God. And one passage we could go to of, of a number is found in Matthew chapter 18. Here, this is Jesus talking about God's special care specifically of children. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. God is a helper to the helpless, but he takes very seriously any who abuse those who are powerless, because He is, as we've sung, a holy God, and He is a merciful God. You know, when we consider the fact that God is a helper, especially to the helpless, we are left struggling somewhat, because we live in a world where we look around and we see children we see those who have no voice, who are oppressed, who are abused, who are cheated, who are killed. And sometimes we're just left shaking our head and saying, why, Lord? Why? You switch on the news and you see the events that have been taking place over in Israel and the terrible abuses that were done to children and to families. And we're left asking, God, where are you? What are you doing? And I wish that I knew all of the reasons, and I don't. I wish I could always understand what God is doing, but I can't. But what we do know is that He sees what we do know is that he knows why he sometimes chooses to intervene and stop something, and at other times he doesn't. That is beyond our comprehension. But we do know that in this fallen and broken world, the horror of the sin that we see committed against one another points us to our desperate need of a Savior. It points us to the fallenness and the crookedness and the brokenness of every human heart. But it also reminds us that God is able to bring beauty from ashes. And not always, but sometimes. God, in leading somebody through great heartache and great abuse and great tragedy, will use them, will comfort them. And they are then, in turn, able to comfort others with the very same comfort that they have received. But we also, when we consider the brokenness in this world, we remember that it's true that God is our helper and that there is coming a day when in the presence of Christ all things will be made right. And that's even what Jesus is pointing to here. He's acknowledging the fact that, that there are some who do experience tremendous abuse. There are some that are led by others into sin and it would be better 
for those who do that, who harm them, to have a great millstone fastened around the neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Better than what? Better than the fact that our God, who is holy, will one day bring everlasting judgment against sin. Our God is a helper, and He will, He will stand as helper for all of the oppressed. But when we consider again these truths of Scripture, that God is merciful, that God is a helper to the helpless, we are also reminded of this essential truth of the gospel that we can give thanks for, and that is that we are saved. If you're in Jesus Christ, you are saved because God helps those who cannot help themselves. You see, we bring nothing to the table, nothing whatsoever. It's not like showing up at the mechanic and saying, oh, God, you know, I, so I recognize there's some broken stuff in me. I recognize that there's some of the sin stuff in me. And so, so I'm just going to kind of work over here with a couple of things and sort of get things cleaned up a little bit. And then, and then you know, if you, think, if you think I might need some additional help, then you're welcome. No, that is not what the gospel is about at all. Well, thanks be to God that God helps those who cannot help themselves because that's every one of us. See, one of the great challenges that, pe- that men and women face when it comes to the glorious invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to receive forgiveness and salvation and life is the fact that we just don't like the fact that we play no part in it. That, that, that irks our sense of pride. We think, well, I'm pretty good, and maybe if I just add a little bit of Jesus, I'll be even better. But that is not true. No, God helps those who could never help themselves. Just as we see in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, and verses 1 through 3, we read, we read these words, and you, that's you, and you, and you, and, and me, and you, and all people were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's a, 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 a title for, for Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, I mean, look at some of these words. I've highlighted a few of them. Uh, How are you doing? Well, you're dead. Dead is kind of a problem. What can dead things do? Nothing, because they're dead, right? Right? I don't know, maybe some of you are getting ready to lay a patio or something at home and thinking, ah, it's a whole lot of work. Maybe on the way home from church today, you'll get to drive past a cemetery and you might think to yourself, hey, there's a whole bunch of people there who are not doing anything very productive. Maybe they can come and help me with the patio. Well, you're not going to get very far, right? Because they're dead. And dead things can't do anything. 
But the scripture tells us, and this is from God's perspective, so it's like, well, I'm not dead, I'm here. This is from God's perspective of our state, of our situation, of our ability to do anything righteous, to to do anything to bring ourselves to him and to clean ourselves up. He says, you are dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are following the prince of the power of the air. In other words, everything about your life is following after, uh, after the ways of the devil, which, which is entirely contrary to the things of God. How are you living? You lived in the passions of your flesh. And so there's the spiritual death. And, and what it produces is that you're just kind of, we're, we're essentially like, like animals who are just pursuing anything that we think may make us feel good. We just want to eat. We just want to pursue pleasure. We just want to do that. That's it. Nothing that is honoring to God. And the result is that our nature, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, is that we are children of wrath. Now, this is unpopular in our world today. But the Bible is very clear that anybody who is apart from Jesus Christ is by nature a child of wrath that there is coming a day where the holy and righteous anger of God will be poured out in judgment on all who have rejected Jesus Christ because they have lived not according to the things of God but according to the things of their own lusts and passions and pursuits and in that day they will say, God, we didn't want you then and we don't want you now. He says that's the spiritual state of everyone. Or as the book of Romans says, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how can these people help themselves? How can we help them ourselves? How can we say, God, here we are over here. If I just do a couple of things that maybe you can kind of you know, lend a hand to. No. God mercifully helps those who are incapable of helping themselves. And as the passage continues in verses 4 and following, but God, but God, you were dead, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. Notice this. God intervenes because of his mercy, because of his love, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even when we could do nothing to help ourselves. God is a helper to those who cannot help themselves. And so, a way of salvation is provided through Jesus Christ. It is by faith alone, because of grace alone. It's in Christ alone, is declared in the Scriptures alone. And all of this is to the glory of God alone. And having saved us, He raised us with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What's that talking about? It's talking about the fact that for all eternity in heaven, that you and I, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, are going to be like trophies that display for everybody to see that God is a merciful God who helps those 
who cannot help themselves. And as we walk across the streets of glory, as we bump into one another, we're going to bump into one another, look at one another and say, isn't God merciful? Because you're here. And so am I. We're going to remind one another of His grace and His mercy for all eternity. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. You did nothing to help out in this process. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared that we should walk in them. And so we have this beautiful picture here through Scripture. We see that God is merciful helper, that He's a helper to the helpless, that even our salvation is because God helps those who cannot help themselves. But Scripture also warns that we have to be careful. Those who think that they can help themselves are fooling themselves and will ultimately be lost. And again, this is unpopular in the world in which we live. But Jesus, in Mark chapter 2, says, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, context is always very important. We have to understand what it is that he's saying. And Jesus here is talking uh, to those who think that they are right before God, who have what they would consider to be a self-righteousness. We follow the rules. We do these practices. We do these things. So we're good, but not those people over there. They're wicked sinners. And Jesus said, that's a problem. Because if you, unless, you, unless you realize that you are sick, then you're never going to come to the doctor. And that's why he says, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's like, if people are righteous, they don't need me. But the problem that all of the Bible testifies to is that there is none who is righteous. No, not one. There is none who seeks for God. All have sinned and fall short of His glory. Likewise, those who think that they can help themselves are fooling themselves. As 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That is a dangerous place to be because, you see, unless we recognize that we have sinned against a holy God, then we will never come to that place of recognizing our need of a Savior and of the provision that has been made for us in Jesus Christ. And so our merciful God helps those who know they cannot help themselves. We may wonder, well, so do we play no part at all in the Christian life? Well, the Scripture goes on to show us that God has given us His Holy Spirit, who is our ever-present helper. And and again, this is a glorious truth because, because we have now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, from the moment that you put your faith in Him, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence, to dwell in you. Uh, the book of Ephesians says that he is the deposit that guarantees the inheritance that is to come. Or in the words of Jesus from John's gospel, Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so we can say that our salvation is through Christ alone. It is all of Him because God helps those who cannot help themselves. But He has also given us His Holy Spirit so that in our sanctification, that is our growth towards Christ-likeness. So having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as we are living out day by day, step by step, moment by moment, this Christian walk that God is at work in us as His people, molding us and shaping us and transforming us to the likeness of Christ Jesus. And the good news is that with the Spirit inside us, as the book of Philippians uh, instructs us in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul there says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so we have an assurance here that, that, that God who started the work of salvation in us will also complete it. That those who are truly saved will be saved. That those who started truly in Christ will finish in Christ. There are no ifs, buts, maybes. We are secure because God knows how to keep those who are His. But there is also a sense in which as we live out this Christian life, we do it in the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And we do it in cooperation with Him. And so in the very next chapter in Philippians chapter 2, we read, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It seems there like it's saying, hey, you do the work, but it also says God is doing the work. So how do we make sense of this? And I think the best way for us to understand it is that God, who is our helper, who has given us of His Holy Spirit, is actively working in our life. And our job as followers of Jesus Christ is to live out what He is working in. We are to live out in the world around us, in the midst of our days, in the paths that we, that we uh, uh, walk. We are to live out that which He is working in us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is active and at work in your life. It's, it's possible for us to, to quench the work of the Spirit and to walk in disobedience. But as we walk in obedience to His Word and to His leading, then we are putting on display that internal work so that a watching world can see and bearing fruit that reflects his sanctifying work in us. And so we've moved through quite a lot very quickly. Each of these passages in their own right kind of deserves its own study and message. But where do we go from here? 
Well, we've seen that our God is a merciful helper. That God is a helper to the helpless. That we are saved because God helps those who cannot help themselves. That God has given us His Spirit who is our ever-present helper. That we are never left without a comforter, without a helper, without aid. But the Scripture also shows us that we reflect the heart of God when we help those who cannot help themselves. And again, just briefly, a couple of verses here. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is to, be, is to reflect your relationship with your merciful God. We are to live out the heart of God before a watching world as we imitate Him, as we walk in love as Christ has loved us and sacrificially given Himself. And likewise in the book of James, probably could not be any clearer. Christianity is not just about gathering together on a Sunday morning. It's not about how many Bible studies we've been to. It's not about performing this and this and this and this. James reminds us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. When we care for those who have no voice, when we help those who are helpless, we reflect the very heart of our God, and we demonstrate the genuineness of our relationship with Him. And so, what do we do with all of this? First of all, since all this is true, look for ways to be a vessel of God's mercy to others. I mean, think about this. If you're in Christ Jesus, God has been merciful to you. How can you show mercy to others? Especially others who we think don't deserve it. Because God showed mercy to us while we were yet sinners. And so, never write people off as undeserving or unimportant. Sometimes that, that's this idea of, of what we do. We, we kind of look down on people. Sometimes that's the problem with that idea of God helps those who help themselves. It's like, well, if you clean your life up, if you do this, then I may condescend to help you. Then I'm, I, I, I may look with favor upon you. No, that's not the heart of God. Don't write people off and say, no, they're a lost cause. Don't write people off, oh, they're of this other political persuasion. Don't write people off because, oh, well, they're not working. They're not doing this. They're not contributing. No. Who can we show mercy to? Some of us need to repent of our pride, and we need to humbly acknowledge God's mercy. You see, some of us have been followers of Jesus for a long time. And one of the dangers that can sometimes happen in our lives is we start to believe that we are better than others. We start to believe that the reason that we're in Christ is because, because we are somehow something more than others. 
I don't know where you are today, but if you find yourself often comparing yourself with others and looking really pretty good, if you find yourself writing people off or looking down on others around you because of this or because of this or because of this, get back in the presence of God. Get back in the presence of God and before Him confess that pride and acknowledge again, God, I am where I am. I am what I am. Anything good in my life is only because of mercy and nothing else. And cry out to Him. Some of us are not necessarily in these places, but we're in a place where it's like, I need help. I feel like I'm carrying so much and I feel like I'm carrying it alone. And the invitation of the Bible is keep on coming back to God who is your helper. Keep on coming back to Him because He delights to hear. Because He knows and He sees. Call upon Him. And as Psalm 69 reminds us, for the Lord hears the needy and He does not despise His own people who are prisoners. Sometimes we can fall into the other camp, not the prideful camp, but we can come. It's like, I'm not worthy of of, of God helping me. God, I got so much going on in my life, but but I've messed up so badly in the past. I've sinned so many times. Uh, I, I could never come to you and expect anything from you. That's what mercy's all about. Come to him again. God delights to hear and to answer, and to comfort, and to draw near to those who cry out to him for mercy. And finally, we need to turn to Christ and be saved. I'm speaking probably to the majority of us here who have already done this. Thank the Lord for his mercy towards you in Christ. But it may be that there are some who are here today and we have this idea that we have to kind of meet some level, some standard, some accomplishment. We've got to come to church at least a a certain number of times or we've got to do this or that in order for God even to think about us. And let me just say, I don't know where you are today and I don't know what you've done, but the invitation stands ready that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sin and for mine. That none of us are deserving of his mercy. But he is a merciful helper. And that the invitation is for you today. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come. God is in the business of doing the transforming work. What you need to do is acknowledge your sin and your need of a merciful God. Recognize that when Jesus died on the cross all those years ago, it was for you and it was for me. Say, God, here I am. As best as I know how, I surrender everything to you. I want to follow you with all that I am and all that I have. But Lord, I need your help. I need your mercy. If you do that, then there is salvation and forgiveness of sins today. And we would love to talk with you about how we can come alongside and also help you in taking your next step as you continue to grow 
in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, there are some who say God helps those who help themselves, but that simply is not true. And I am so thankful that it's not. Where would we be if it was dependent on us? I would still be at the mechanic shop with a car in a million and one pieces, not having a clue what I'm doing. Thanks be to God. Our merciful God helps those who know that they cannot help themselves. If you want to learn more about how you can take next steps, how you can maybe get involved in serving in different ministries here at the church where you can come alongside and be, in a sense, a helper, a mercy giver to others who have need. Or if you're in a place today where uh, uh, you, you want to know what it is to take that next step with the Lord Jesus Christ, you can scan this code or you can reach out to one of the pastors. We will be delighted to walk with you in this next step. But for right now, would you bow your heads? Would you bow your hearts with me as we thank our God for his mercy? Oh, Lord, we do thank you that you are a merciful God, that you are a God who helps such as us, who are unable to help ourselves. Forgive us for our arrogance and our pride that often leads us to think of ourselves as somehow better or more deserving than others. Remind us again of your great mercy and your grace. And keep us looking to you ever and always as our helper. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who right now are carrying a weight, a load that seems too much to bear and are feeling overwhelmed and unsure of what to do next. I pray that they would find you to be their helper and that you would raise up and bring alongside them others who can be vessels of your mercy toward them to help them in this time of need. Lord, come to the aid of your needy people, not only here in this church, but all your people throughout the nations. And Lord, touch each heart here today that perhaps even here, Online or in person, there may be some who say, Lord, I have tried to do things myself. I've tried to carry the weight myself. I've tried to be my own helper. And I'm exhausted. I turn to you. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for living for myself instead of for you. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he bore my sin. Would you forgive me? And would you bring me into your family that I might know you, that I might honor you, that I might walk with you all of the days of my life, that I might truly know that you are my helper always. Lord, we ask these things and we do so with thanksgiving, knowing that you are merciful God, delight to hear and to answer our prayers. 
as we lift them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we continue this morning praising his name.
Thank you, Father. We praise your name this morning. Church, as we prepare to leave this place, let it be known in your heart your identity in Christ. And let that shine outward to those around you and those that you meet. Let's go praising his name this morning and exalting that he is the one who has saved us. Let's go in peace. Thank you.